So um, <laughs> there's just Sundays like this. It's so funny. Last night, Glenn Haley, you just raise your hand, Glenn. I want people just to know who you are. Glenn Haley shoots me a text last night. Glenn's been a, been a season ticket holder for the Grizzlies since they came here. I can probably count on one hand how many games he has missed. And he shot me a text and he said, equipment failure, shot clocks aren't working, so the game has been postponed. Or they had to push it back a little bit. And my response to him was, it sounds like church sometimes. <laughs> Little did I know I was going to show up this morning and me and our computers crashing. I know our tech crew, they get here early on Sunday mornings and they work Saturday nights trying to prepare for Sundays. And they take stuff like this really personally as if they did something. But I think any of us who have a phone or computer know sometimes things just happen, right? And, and I know they're like, man, we, we just, we need it. And uh, can we just thank the crow's nest for all they do just week in, week out. making us look good, making us sound good. I really don't have an accent. They just give me one so you'll listen better. Uh, but I thank God. I thank God for them. Uh, and God has done things in churches without the need of electronics and screens. So thank you for how you poured your heart into this morning. It was a Sunday that I had prepared about 30 slides to help walk you through a certain text. And sometimes that's just how it happens. So I want to welcome all the guests. There's still people joining us live stream right now. And we're thankful for wherever those people are. Uh, I want to walk you through all of chapter 5 of Mark today. And I'm going to try to hold together four different stories in Mark. One of the temptations for preachers is that they sometimes feel like, we sometimes feel like we need to stand up and give people a fresh word and a new word. And, and sometimes we spend our weeks trying to think, of how can I say something to people who never thought before? It's a temptation for ministers because sometimes the call of God on us isn't to give you something new. It's to remind you of what's been there for years. Sometimes you're in need of a fresh word and a new word, and sometimes you're in need of a reminder, something you have heard dozens or hundreds of times. And today I hope to give you maybe a little bit of both of those. But sometimes when we read the Bible and sometimes when we preach through the Bible, we preach story by story, and sometimes we miss how a few different stories need to be held together to hear them all at the same time. So I'm going to try to do that for you today. In Mark chapter 4, verse 35, there's this one little phrase that shows up. And I'm not even suggesting this morning, like, theologically, like, you have to know this phrase to understand the Bible. But it's the phrase, other side. And this shows up three different times in the four stories that I'm going to work you through this morning, other side. And I want you to think, how do you, whenever you hear that word, the phrase, just other side, what's the context that comes to mind when you think of other side, like going to the other side, or he went to the dark side, or politically, or when it comes to sports, they now cheer for that team. They've gone to the other side. Sometimes we think about movies or like Star Wars. If he went to the other side or the dark side, or somebody chose to become a vegan, and we're like, man, they went to the other side, right? Like, there are a lot of different ways we use this phrase. Sometimes we just use a phrase like direction. You're at the sea, you're at a lake, you're hiking, and hey, let's go to the, let's go to the other side. But I want you to think theologically just for a moment. I want you to think about God, how God chose to go to the other side for us. And I love what Eric and Sabrina did with communion today, just pointing us to the cross and this chasm that did exist. And, and that God did not look at us or say, hey, once you people clean yourself up, then I'm going to invite you to come to me and then I'm going to save you. 
It's that God's mission and what God chose to do in Jesus is that, hey, we are going to go where they are. We're going to enter into their mess. We're going to go where unclean people are. We're going to enter into their sin and become that so that we can save people. You didn't, we didn't deserve to be saved. It's this free gift of God. It's this free gift that has, given, has been given to us. It's a free gift of salvation, but discipleship isn't free. Discipleship is costly. So God has come to the other side for you. God has come to the other side for us. And because of that, God has also now called us to go to the other side for people. That we have been called to go on a mission of where, what, what are the boundaries I need to cross in, in God and with God so that other people can hear about God. And sometimes God calls us to go to the other side and we don't want to go there. The person in my life over the last 10 years that challenged me on this maybe more than anyone else was Lee Brown. Lee Brown was a member of this church for about a decade, passed away a couple of months ago. If you have only been here a few weeks, you would have known Lee Brown. You may have smelled Lee Brown. Lee was homeless in Memphis for about 20 years, and through those 20 years, there are times he wasn't on the streets every single night, but... When Lee showed up to church in September of 2008, and I just know that, I'd only been here a few months, I remember smelling homelessness out in the hallway before I even met Lee. And Lee and I struck up a friendship, and there were times, having a friendship with Lee, there were days when it was a gift, and there were days it was a great challenge, and there were times it was both at the same time, and there were times I felt like Lee was the greatest minister God put in my life to teach me the ways of God. And there were times I felt like he was the greatest obstacle in my life. And it was through my relationship with Lee, I often felt God teaching me what it means to go to the other side. Because Lee often modeled what it means to go to the other side. Like Lee didn't care about how much money you had or who you were. Lee would strike up friendships with anyone. Lee was a challenge. Uh, I've gotten to know some of Lee's family over the last couple of years. And there are times that I would hear a story that Lee would tell, and I would ask his family, is the story true or not? And, and they would help me. And in, in the funeral, there was a group from Idlewild Presbyterian Church, which Lee also had a membership there. Lee was members at a few different churches, if you didn't know that, all right? <laughs> and in Idlewild Pres, they were here, sitting right here in this section. And the pastor of Idlewild Pres, Pastor Steve, came over to me and he said, man, I've known Lee for... Since he was on the streets, almost 20 years, I've known Lee. And he said, can you tell me anything that the family has shared with you that would be helpful for me to know about Lee? And I said, well, one thing that would probably be helpful for you to know is Lee told a story that he had a sister who he watched her commit suicide. And, and that story never happened. Lee doesn't have a sister. There's never been a sister in their family. Now, there were times I think Lee would just lie because Lee was a survivor and a master manipulator. But there were times when I think Lee thought he was telling the story of something that did happen because of his sleep depravity and a lot of other things going on in his life. He thought they had happened, and they never did. And I just told him, I said, well, Pastor Steve, he, he never had a sister. And Pastor Steve started laughing. And I said, what? And he said, that's funny, because I did the funeral for that sister about 15 years ago. <laughs> he said, Lee told us about her, and we asked when there was a funeral, and there had never been a funeral, so we threw a whole funeral for her. That's what we did. We had a meal, and Lee talked, and we talked, and we honored the life of her. <laughs> and I think if Lee was here, somehow he could laugh at it, maybe. 
And it's not just Lee. I mean, Lee taught me so much of the ways of God, but Lee was this chick. There were days I had to say, God, you have to give me courage to know how to be a friend of this man. And I'm sure there are times in your life when God's asking you to go to the other side or enter into some kind of relationships that is hard. And what we have to remember, if God was willing to enter into a relationship with me and come to my side, I've got to be willing to go wherever God is to. So to help you see the Bible this morning, I want to invite, I have four volunteers who are going to make their way up right now to help the story come to life for us. And I want to ask those four volunteers who so graciously this morning said they would come to go ahead and, and head on up here. And as the church, can we just put our hands together and thank them? <clears throat> All right. Satan Avery, if you'll go on that far side and those, and Holden, if you'll come right here, and Wes, I want you uh, here in this seat. And here's the deal. I told Jim Hinkle, I said, man, I need four volunteers. And this is great because... With no slides up on the screen today to have some props is going to be really helpful. I said, Jim, I need four volunteers. I would like to have four teenagers. And Jim said, well, meet me up in the impact at 9 o'clock and I'll find you some. It is super hard to say no to Jim Hinkle. Uh, how many of you have ever had a challenge saying no to Jim before? Anybody? Because Jim, Jim would ask a couple of teens, they're like, nope, not going to do it. And Jim's like, I would just go on to someone else if it was me. But that's not what Jim does, is it? He's like, well, do you love Jesus? Like, do you, like, you want to go to heaven one day? <laughs> Next time I'm with Jim and Stacy, I'm going to ask Stacy Hinkle what it was like when Jim first asked her on a date. Hey, Stacy, you know, you want to go out? And Stacy's like, not really. And Jim's like, well, do you want to go to heaven? I mean, I don't know how he did it. Maybe it was different, okay? I don't know. I'm just thankful for the four who are up here. I want you to think about the book of Mark just for a moment. I've been teaching this for weeks. And that Mark is this call to discipleship. And Mark's writing to a church that was suffering great stress and duress and tension. And he's writing, teaching them the ways of God. So open your Bibles to Mark chapter 4, verse 35. And I'm going to try to work us through. And I want you just to hold this. There are four different stories. And they go like this. In Mark chapter 4:35, it starts out with, On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. Now, this is a time when Jesus is putting his guys in a boat. And they're going to the other side. And just make a note in your Bibles, they're going to Gentile territory. This is a pretty big deal. And, and, and as they're in boats going across this sea to the other side, there's a storm that breaks out. Have you ever been in a boat when a storm comes? And look in chapter 4, verse 35. It says, when evening came, they got in boats. Not just a boat, boats, and went to the other side. Can you imagine being in a boat at night in a storm in a time with no electricity? And if you had torches, a storm's going to put out any fire you have. It's dark and it, you're in a storm. And they begin freaking out, thinking they're going to die. And in the story, what's Jesus doing? He's sleeping. Have you ever been in a storm in your life before and you felt like God was sleeping? Or God was on vacation? Or did God care? They're in a storm, thinking they're going to die. And Jesus is sound asleep. So this lets you know Jesus wasn't a light sleeper, I guess. Or maybe it had just been a hard day. Or maybe he had too much melatonin. I don't know, all right? Jesus is out like a light. So they wake him up and they're like, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And then Jesus woke up and it says 
He rebuked the wind. It's the same word Jesus uses when he drives out demons. And I'm not suggesting that it's demon possession that's in the water. What I am saying and stating is Jesus looked at anything where there was disorder and chaos and desired to rebuke it to make it right. He looked at the wind and he rebuked it and he said, peace be still. And then he looked at his disciples and what he said is, why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And if in the moment Jesus is like, why are you afraid? My response is going to be, because there's a storm hitting a boat. Like, wouldn't you be afraid too? And Jesus is like, hey, man, don't be afraid. Have faith. When I am with you, I need you to believe that I am here to speak and breathe peace into everything. And verse 41 says, they were filled with great awe and they said to one another, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now, for Jews, they thought of the sea as a place of chaos. And now they've seen Jesus calm chaos. And I think you need this story of Jesus calming the storm before you can understand the three stories that are going to play out in the rest of chapter 5 of Mark. I think this story lays the foundation. This story is the prelude for all these other storms that are going on in people's lives. So the next one is this in chapter 5, verse 1. Will you hold that, Wes? And what you have is they came to the other side. So now they're on the other side in Gentile territory. And here's what happens. When Jesus got out of a boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. And this man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot. But he tore his chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out, Every day. And he would cut himself with stones. This was the kind of man that if he had kids, you're like, dude, if you ever see that guy, run. Like, don't come close. This guy was living in the tombs. Demon possessed. Nobody could bind him. He could break any chain. And then in verse 6, what it says is, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and bowed down before Jesus. When I read verse 6, I can't even get to he bowed down because I'm thinking about this crazy man who is running toward Jesus. And if I'm one of the disciples with Jesus and I see this crazy man running, what I'm thinking is I don't got to outrun the demon-possessed man. I've got to make sure I can outrun all these other guys so demon-possessed man doesn't get me, Right? He's running to Jesus, and he bows down. Every story we read this morning of people coming to Jesus, they bow before Jesus. And these are leaders and men and women desperate, bowing before Jesus. And when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran, he bowed down, and then he said this, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I am calling upon the name of God. Don't torment me. Think about that. It's a man full of demons whose demon's desire is not to create order in your life, but chaos in your life. And it's a demon-possessed man who is now saying, by the name of God, do not torment me. And verse 8 says, Jesus had told him, apparently Jesus has already said, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. So this is one case when Jesus drives out a demon and the demon doesn't immediately flee. Instead, Jesus enters into a dialogue with the demon-possessed man. This is crazy. And Jesus says, what's your name? And the man's response is, Legion. Which Legion stood for armies who had 400 to 600 troops in the army. That right there lets you know, this is Jesus versus a mob. 
This is Jesus, one person, versus an entire army. And I think we're declaring the name of Jesus in this place enough to know that Jesus against anything, Jesus is going to win. What's your name? He says, my name's Legion, for we are many. And then, and then this demon-possessed man begins bargaining with Jesus. And the guy says, send us among the pigs and allow us to go into them. And Jesus said, okay. Now, if you're reading this story from most places in the world, like this isn't a big deal, but if you're in Memphis, Tennessee, and you're reading this story, I mean, we're like, why, why's it got to be pigs, man? Like, why pigs? That's a lot of slabs, right? That's a lot of bacon. 2,000 pigs that now take off running on a suicide mission, diving into the sea. Could you just imagine what this scene was like? Pigs drowning themselves, dying. Okay, and if you read this story, and there are people who push back on their st- this story, or they're like, man, what, what in the world has happened? Why did Jesus allow that to happen? Because the, surely the economy took a little hit because of this. You had people who watched over those pigs, and now what, you know, the, how they're trying to make money, it's gone. Like this, this just doesn't seem like a nice act. Let me give you a couple ways to think about this. When it comes to evil, Jesus knew in this moment, he agreed to their proposal, but he defeated their purpose. And Jesus, Jesus knows that evil isn't just something that he wanted to cast out and then that evil could go do something else in the world. Evil belongs at the depths of the sea, conquered and defeated. And something else you learn just in the mission of Jesus is that dealing with evil is costly. And here it costs the lives of 2,000 pigs so that a man could be made right. And then what Jesus says in verse 19 is to go home to your friends and you tell them how much the Lord has done for you and what mercy has shown you. This demon-possessed man wanted to get, get in the boat with Jesus and go with Jesus. And Jesus said, no, 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 I want you to go back and I want you to tell what Jesus has done for you. He became this great missionary. There are times when God's going to work a wonder in your life and you may think God's going to want you to tell that wonder in a certain way and God's going to call you to do something else with it. But whatever it is God is doing in our lives is a story to tell, a story to proclaim. And then the very next story, you actually have two that work out in the same story. Can you hold this? So you got Jesus calming a storm, and then Jesus calming and setting a man who's been demon-possessed, putting him in his right mind. And then you have this, this next story, where in Mark 5, 21, it's when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side. So three different times you have other side. Jesus went to the other side and ends up in a storm. Then he gets to the other side. Now he goes back to the other side. It's like trying to put all the directions together, right? And now he's to the other side and he comes and then there's a leader of the synagogue. You're going to represent. You're not the leader of the synagogue, but you're in the story, okay? A leader of the synagogue named Jairus came. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and he begged him repeatedly, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and that she may live. A 12-year-old girl who wasn't just sick. She was dying. So a dad who's come to Jesus as a great leader, putting himself at the feet of the great leader, asking not just that my daughter is sick, will you make her well, but that my daughter is dying. Like she's been given a death sentence and I, you're the only thing I can do. You're the only one I can come to. 
I've walked the halls of St. Jude. I've been with some of you who have lost kids, and you have, you've had kids who have been very ill. And, and I think most of, most of us who have children, like we would take on whatever is in our kids. Like, just give it to me, God. I don't want my, my children to suffer from this. And I can see in this dad, this desire, man, I just want my daughter to be made well. There are times where my boys like will bruise their bodies or they get a cut or they jam a finger and, and they're in pain. And I'm like, man, God, I wish I could just take the pain. There are times when my boys get sick or they have the flu or strep. And I look at Casey and I'm like, don't you wish you could take the pain, right? I'll take the pain for stumped toes, but don't you wish you could take the pain? And here's this dad, 12-year-old girl who is dying. And Jesus says, I'll go with you. So there's this crowd, this huge crowd, that, that they're moving toward this house to see what Jesus will do for this leader, Jairus, who has a girl who is sick. And then it, on the way, he gets interrupted. And the story we have is that a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had been ill for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she had heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and she touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. And immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. This is a woman who had been sick for 12 years who had, have you ever had the bill, uh, medical bills just stack up and there's nothing you can do? Doctors who've tried to do everything and there's nothing they can do. So she comes to Jesus and interrupts Jesus. And when power came from him, what it says is Jesus turned in the crowd and said, who touched me? Jesus is on the way, probably standing next to Jairus to go and heal Jairus' daughter. And he gets interrupted by someone else and he actually is going to give them attention. If you're Jairus, what are you thinking in this moment? Like, how about you let that girl come to you another time? My daughter is sick. We need to get to my daughter. And that Jesus takes an interruption better than most of us can take an interruption and stands with it and sits with it. Who touched me? And some of his disciples actually said, I mean, man, the crowd's pressing in on you. How can you say who touched you? A lot of people are around you. And Jesus looked at this woman and he said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. That's verse 34. Verse 35 is, someone else comes to Jairus and says, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? In one verse, Jesus has healed a woman of the disease that she has had for 12 years. In the very next verse, someone is telling Jairus, your daughter's dead. Can you imagine the emotions on the left and the right of Jesus? That one has been given life and the other has been told that there's now death. But Jesus looks at Jairus and Jesus says, don't fear, just believe. And Jesus gets to the house where professional mourners had already shown up. Because this is what would happen with Jesus. When someone would die, they would bring in professional mourners. So at this point, like this girl hadn't just, just died in the moment. Like professional weepers have shown up to mourn and to grieve. And Jesus says in verse 39, why do you make a commotion and weep? The child's not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him. And Jesus went in. And he touched this dead corpse. And he spoke the words, little girl, get up. And she got up. Dude, these are four stories that don't need to be read one by one, but all in one. That the one who calmed the sea 
is the one who speaks peace into chaos in someone's mind and body is the one who can speak peace over any illness that we suffer in the world, is the one who declares victory over death. Jesus, maybe the question isn't, what is Jesus Lord over? Maybe the question is, what is Jesus not Lord over? He's the Lord over the seas. He's the Lord over chaos. He's the Lord over death. He's the Lord over illness. And as you look up at the stage today and you just see these four signs representing storms and maybe storms in your life or evil that has an impact on you right now or forms of death and grief that you have suffered in your life or illnesses that maybe you have right now. When you look at these, which one do you need the most in your life right now? And I'm sure there are some of you who are like all four, all of them, but which one do you need the most? And in this story, it's that Jesus is the Lord of all these things Speaking and breathing peace over them all. Because what all these people realized is that the temporary peace to calm a storm or the temporary peace that could be needed to help a mind be in the right place and whatever else was suffer- he was suffering from, the, the temporary peace. You can find things that can give you some temporary peace, but only Jesus can bring the permanent peace. So, hey, will you four do me a favor and just set those down right here to where they can still be shown and then you can go back to your seats. And can we thank God again for a few, few folks who will come. <clears throat> I want you to look in your Bibles in Mark chapter 5, verse 43. Because here's how this whole chapter ends. It said, Jesus gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this. And he told them to give her something to eat. So this is called like the messianic secret. Because there are multiple times where Jesus tells people, hey, don't go and tell anybody what has just happened. And if you're thinking, man, Jesus just, he healed a 12-year-old. He didn't just heal a girl. He brought her back from the dead. Like there were other forms of healing that people in those times had experienced in some way. There were people who were known as healers. There were people who were known as exorcists. But, I mean, people weren't known to like raise people from the dead. So Jesus was concerned about fame in this moment. But here's how I think you need to think about verses like chapter 5, verse 43. Is what Mark wants you to know. Is that the power of the name of Jesus can do all these things. But that the Messiahship of Jesus and the Lordship of Jesus and Jesus' King can only be known. It can only be understood through the cross. So Mark is building his gospel. The way he tells the story of Jesus is Jesus did a lot of amazing things. But when it comes to Jesus claiming to be the Messiah, Jesus knew this is something that can only be understood through the cross. Many people want Christianity when you don't have to suffer. But when we have to suffer and when we have to carry our own cross is when we understand what discipleship is all about. And in this story... The person who had been living in the tombs, if you read the law, if you read the Old Testament, you were unclean if you spent any time next to dead corpses or in tombs. If you were dead and someone touched you, you were unclean if you were in that room or you touched that corpse. If you were a woman who had been suffering illness and you were bleeding, you were unclean. And in this story, this man who's been demon-possessed and living in tombs comes into the presence of Jesus, meaning his presence 
in a way, is making Jesus unclean. Jesus touches the young girl who is dead. He doesn't just tell her to rise up. He touches her. And here's the bleeding woman who touches Jesus. So Mark 5 is letting you know, Jesus, he's not here to teach you how to break the law. But Jesus is here to set people free from everything, to carry whatever it is that makes us unclean, to make us clean so that we can be in the presence of God. Does this make sense to anybody here? So we're going to sing a song, and I want to ask those who are receiving people for prayer and for our elders, will you go ahead and position yourself in the room to receive people for prayer? And I hope and pray that one of these images, one of these words, will give you some way to reflect as we sing these songs on what it is you need God to do in your life, what it is you are asking of God. Can we pray? I want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And let's just open our hands where we are and to receive from the Lord this morning. To the God who speaks peace over the storms in our lives, whatever that may look like, Will you speak and declare that peace loudly in our lives? And God, whether it is you calming a storm today or giving us the peace of knowing that one day the storm will be calmed, give us hope, give us joy, set us free. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. If there's a need in your life, I ask you to go find one of these leaders or make your way to the front. Let's sing together.